So um, should we get started? Or? Sure. Yeah, I'm ready when you are. Okay. So let's just do an introduction. So today I'm talking with Steve James, a.k.a. the man himself, Guru Viking. Um, how would you describe yourself to start off? Like, it's, it's kind of hard to hard to describe, like, because um, the types of topics that Steve talks about are, like, very esoteric. It's about, like, deep meditation, um, just things that you wouldn't usually see in the mainstream. So, like, how would you describe yourself, Steve? Well, I think you first found me on my podcast, the Guru Viking podcast, yeah. And there, that podcast is about, um, you could say, yeah, deep meditational things, uh, I suppose, spirituality, contemplative themes. And so I interview people who are, um, you know, teachers of meditation of various kinds, or sometimes scholars of religion, or philosophy, or anthropology, in the ways that those areas intersect with that theme of of contemplative, uh, yeah, contemplative studies. And sometimes um, translators and sort of people to do with that general theme are the ones that I interview, yeah, on the podcast. It's like actually pretty big too, because like I know that like um, Steve has like a vast, like major, like a variety of guests on. And um, although like the general theme like has to do with meditation, but like that's such a a broad spectrum of things because you always have guests. Have different niches and like focuses on um different things you know what i mean which is like super crazy like how deep the rabbit hole actually goes you're right actually and a lot of people think meditation uh have an, a narrow idea of meditation uh they think of a particular technique like focusing on the breath or doing a mantra or something like that but yeah. you know here i suppose meditation can mean any psycho spiritual you know uh, discipline of contemplation and it seems to be one of humanity's great hobbies in yeah. religions and also you know in religions and uh, philosophies and individual explorers trying to find out uh explore human experience and so on and the meaning of life and all this sort of thing and so that people connected to that theme like i said you know of course it has philosophical implications it has um cultural implications because these techniques yeah. come from uh, they arise in a certain cultural context, and then they have a journey through history, moving maybe from one culture to the next, or even just evolving within the same, uh, so to say, country, as that country itself changes and evolves. You know, so there's so many stories and uh, um, to tell, and the stories intersect with so much of uh, history, culture, philosophy, as well as, of course, you know, the person who just wants to learn to meditate, who wants to, for whatever reason. People meditate, you know, for so many different reasons too. Some people meditate to get enlightened, right? There are people like that, but a lot of people meditate because they're curious about what's inside, uh, curious about their experience, or they want to be more calm or more focused or more whatever. I feel like it all comes down to like, almost like taming the mind, which I don't think like majority of humans kind of just like, don't really realize like how complex or even like intense the mind can get and like especially when we're in a, like i'm from like from the western world we're very um material and like m- m- uh, material like is like kind of like the centerpiece of our reality so when like you tap out of that and kind of just have mind or like you know meditation it's it can be like it can cause like intense um 
epiphanies, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I like to use that word epiphany, actually. That's one of yeah. my favorite words to use to describe the sorts of things. You know, epiphany, I think, means in the dictionary sense, some sort of uh, God-given insight, to, you know, divinely granted insight. Uh, yeah. Of course, that's, but we can take it out of that to mean any kind of spontaneous aha moment. I think it's colloquially used in that way as well. Any kind of, oh, I had to, I was thinking about this problem and then I had an epiphany. We don't necessarily mean that it's a divine insight, but although that, I think that's the origin of the word, but it, it means that, as you say, that kind of you know, momentary uh, yeah. insight of some sort. Yeah, that colloquial uh, use. I like to use that because it's not very religious. Um, yeah. Usually people say, oh, I had an, in, you know, an insight that has certain Buddhist implications or I had an awakening, yeah. or, you know, I had this or the other. Those words sometimes I think are a little laden. I mean, they're good words, but I like to use the word epiphany. So it's cool you use that. Yeah. All right. So um, I'd like to get started with like your upbringing, honestly, like how you actually like got into uh, like all of this meditation. So like, can you give me like a little like um, story of like, you know, your upbringing, little, little Steve growing up, you know, what were you like, you know, like, what's your story, Steve? Well, I didn't, my beard was a little shorter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I come from a little Scottish island called the Shetland Islands. I grew up there. And uh, in terms of meditation, the quick version is um, I was uh, brought up in a Catholic context, Catholic context, and I was an altar boy. But my mother did not uh, go for the doctrine side of it. She believed in a private faith or a quiet faith where you could go to the mass which is the sort of weekly ritual that catholics do you can go to the mass uh, not to express your shared belief in various doctrinal points with other uh, believers but instead to have a contemplative moment a time of quiet reflection and intimacy with god or yourself or whatever you you know whatever you want to think about it like that so she wouldn't allow us to go to sunday school or catechism as it's called which is where all the children uh, of the church go out to another room and are taught the doctrine by a volunteer um, from the congregation. She didn't let us do that because for a lot of reasons, but mainly because of this private faith. She also said that as the joke is sometimes made about politicians, anyone who wants to be a politician uh, should probably be there disqualified from being one. You know, there's a joke about that, Billy Connolly, I think. Yeah. And so uh, she had, a, she would say that sometimes anyone who wants to be a catechism teacher probably shouldn't be a catechism teacher. So, but I had very, um, I loved that ritual of being an altar boy. You know, you you dress up and you carry um, you know candles around, and it's sort of a choreographed ritual. And I did it for years. And we went to a mass early morning mass where there was no singing or hymns either. So it was just the liturgical ritual. So it's shorter. It's like a short early morning mass for busier people. And I just loved it and found it to be very um, uh, you know impre uh, impressed me a lot. And also at that time, about five years old, I started training in martial arts and there, yeah. And so there, uh, we would do some meditation and so on. What kind and of work? It was a, a style of karate, Wadaru karate it was. And uh, that was what I started with. And the teachers were very uh, traditionally minded, very. This, uh, hmm? this was all in Scotland? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. How's my audio? How's my audio, by the way? Fine. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Awesome. So, what was um your your uh, father like? If you don't mind me asking. In what sense? 
like uh what was his job and like um like did he play a role in your uh, meditation journey oh yeah an interesting you know i think one of the things about meditation that's interesting is that we talked about earlier people have certain ideas about meditation right. and um for instance that it's tied to a specific religion yeah, or it requires a certain posture sitting cross-legged for example right. other things that, and you know it's not it's not it's understandable why people think like that because that's often how meditation is presented and some yeah. teachers do teach meditation saying this is the real one right ours <laughs> is the real one so there are is that kind of exclusivist uh, yeah. but actually one of the things that i observed in my father seeing as you ask about him is that you don't have to have a religious um, or explicitly spiritual orientation in order to uh, uh, meditate, actually. Right. And, you know, he, he for example, uh, these days, every day he goes, he walks hour, hour and a half, and he doesn't listen to music or podcasts when he walks. He just goes outside and walks for an hour to hour and a half every day. And I asked him, you know, what do you do on these walks? And occasionally he sees people and talks to them, but he said, he just lets the mind go wherever it goes for as long as it goes there. And that's, you know, there are many different meditation techniques. That's definitely a meditation technique. Yeah. You know, when he was, um, he used to talk, he was in the merchant Navy as a uh, officer in the merchant Navy. And so he would be on the bridge of these big super tankers and he'd be standing on the bridge. He recounted to me. And by himself, you know, in one of the, in uh, maybe a watch during the night. Yeah. The waiting, just being there, keeping an eye on everything, I guess. And he said, <clears throat> you get into this state of relaxed openness and you'd feel like the whole ship was your body. Wow. And you'd lose a sense of separateness from the ship and the ocean, sort of uni unifying experience. Now, he said that sort of thing because. Uh, you know, because I'm interested in meditation. So, you know, we talk, you know, I'll bring that sort of topic up. Um, yeah. Would he have considered that to be meditation? I think now he he would, he could see my point if I said, well, that's a kind of meditation. It's an, it's not religious. It's not spiritual explicit. Yeah. It doesn't belong to a particular system, but yeah, that's basically, um, that's, a me that's meditation. That's an aspect yeah. of meditation. So one of the things I think I learned from my father, I mean, many, many things, but if we're talking about meditation in particular, which is what you asked, I think it's that um, one of the things I observed in him anyway, is that uh, meditation is natural. It's a natural human um, orientation that uh, you don't need religion and spirituality to do it. Uh, it yeah. can be a useful access point. It can give you techniques. It can give you all sorts of good things, but re religion and spirituality and all that, you know, there's good and bad, right? But actually yeah. people who are, have no interest in that sort of thing can still um, have quite profound meditative um, interests uh, and maybe not even call it that <laughs> yeah it's interesting because like when like you say that your dad would just like go out on like walks and just like let the mind like do its thing it's like interesting and I'm sure like people don't tie it in with meditation because it's like it's almost like open-eyed meditation where you're moving almost you know instead of yeah. like people like tie categorize it into like the whole sitting you know what I mean Exactly. Which I'm very impressed, by the way, when you, whenever you drop those um, four hour, like, or two hour sitting videos, I'm just like, wow, like, how do you do it? You know, like, 
it's insane. It's like, that's insane to me. Cause even when I like, um, tried, try to go into like two hours, I've never done before. Like that is amazing. Um, so before we get into like the deep meditative stuff, I want to get into like, uh, so like continue about like, um, your journey or like the introduction to meditation. So like you were an altar boy, you were meditating and then, but like, what got you to say, um, the Buddhist side of things or, or just like where you realize, like where you, um, kind of realize like, oh, this is like a passion of mine or just like something that's like, you're just really curious about when you like got older or something, maybe like at what age like was it high school like college or like you know like yeah well you know it's funny the second part of that martial arts story of course is you know i was interested in martial arts so naturally uh martial arts especially martial art like karate it, it does have links doesn't it to uh, uh japanese culture obviously and therefore japanese religion uh zen oh. etc zen is a type of buddhism so zen and then from there I was a big, you know, big uh, fan of uh, Bruce, you know, people like Bruce Lee. So, so I'd read all of Bruce Lee's uh, books that he wrote. In fact, I copied out the Tao of Jeet Kune Do entirely by hand when I was um, like nine or 10 or so. I don't know why I did it, but I copied out. the Yeah, I don't know, with all the diagrams and stuff. It took me, you know, I just do it as a kind of thing. You know, in those days, we didn't have fast internet. <laughs> I'm going to point that out. And I lived on a small island. So, you know, these, these things, I think, perhaps contribute to that. But I was yeah. super into that. So I was learning then about just following my interest, learning about Zen and, uh, you know, I mean, learning about it, reading about it. I was, um, uh, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So I was reading a lot of things about that. You know, I had a, had a yoga book. I read about a bit about yoga and so on. So I was interested. I also read about ancient Greek um, things. So I was interested in, in just, just reading, you know, and, um, I was allowed in, in my school, my high school, we were allowed to leave the school at lunch times because it was a small town um, this, uh, in uh, Shetland. And my mother told me that I could spend my lunch money on two things, food or books from the secondhand store, the thrift store, right? The charity shop, as we call it. So I would go, you know, I would go and buy a potato, jacket potato, boiled, which is like a boiled potato um, with no butter because I didn't, I thought I should, you know, I was trying to be like, <laughs> it was like a aesthetic way. so i would take that and i would go to the charity shop and i just look around for any books that interested me about really anything and of course i was very interested in this area so i would i would read about stuff and i'd you know practice and explore i mean i was exploring it in the same way one explores any kind of hobby and you know when you're that age you can become very immersed yeah and, you know, and you don't even realize what you're learning and what you're doing. You're not saying, I've got to develop a practice or do this and that. I wasn't thinking about it like that at all. I was just yeah. following my interest and curiosity. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like when you like compare when you were meditating then to like say the immersiveness of everything, like compared to like today where you're kind of more advanced, quote unquote, um, like what are like the similarities and differences do you think? Or like, you know? compared to that youthful state of just like immersive openness of like not really knowing, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you I know, guess, go on. Um, trying like your first, like, I guess the first time for anything is always going to be more, I don't know, strong, I guess. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? No, yeah, I think you're right. Um, well, it's hard to compare because just being, you know, I'm 35 now and 
and I was it was I was much younger. So everything's different when you're younger. Yeah. You don't know much about anything really, and so yeah. you're unencumbered in your exploration on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know I don't know the difference between it. Not, there's not not a great deal of difference in the motivation to be honest with you. I'm st I still do it because I like it. I yeah. just I, I enjoy it and I find it interesting. And I find uh, sitting down and meditating to be interesting, even when it's difficult or painful or I have emotional turmoil or something, you know, when I'm meditating. Because when you meditate regularly, you, you'll experience all states. It's like if you have a job working outside, you're going to work out in all weather eventually. So yeah. if you meditate regularly, then sometimes you feel calm and peaceful, maybe most of the time. But sometimes, you know, you sit down to meditate and there's something stressful happening. So you're going to feel stressed, right? Yeah. Even then, I find it so interesting and basically meta enjoyable. You know, I don't know. It's, yeah. yeah, it's just how it is. No, I like it. I like that. Um, so uh, what were you doing in like, um, say, like your teenage years to like uh, your, your 20s? Or like, were you like, you know, maybe even like, um, like traveling wise, like just like your life, like, you know? Hmm. Yeah, well, in my teenage years, of course, I was going to school, etc. And um, I worked for uh, three years with a Christian mystic. Uh, he was a writer, actually a writer of Christian contemplative things. And he came to Shetland for a number of years. Uh, his wife had a job, took a job there uh, to do with her career. But also he, he came there to finish off as, as some books he was writing. And we met through various uh, means. And I became his PA, his personal assistant. And, but also uh, sort of spiritual mentee, which was ex an explicit thing. The Bible, you know, they have this Elijah, Elisha thing, right? This sort of a model of, of um, mentoring in a way. So it's an example, I mean, of, of a master-student kind of relationship that they have in the Bible <coughs> that is sometimes used to refer to that sort of a relationship. And he, he used it. So that was really cool because I, I would work for him. I'd get his manuscripts with all his handwritten corrections every morning he'd sit and correct you know edit i suppose his um, manuscripts that he'd written and then that i would spend the day entering those corrections into um the, the word processor right and then yeah. uh we do, i do other various tasks for him you know drink lots of tea and stuff <laughs> yeah. we do other various other things so that was really cool i did that and then um i was a musician for most of my 20s Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. What uh, instrument? Guitar. Or guitar? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've seen a couple of videos of you playing guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah. On, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, what do you think, um, like, the most, like, important things um, uh, that teacher taught you, the Christian mystic? Yeah. Well, like, uh, we're insightful. You got the were any of his manuscripts insightful oh yeah yeah of course at that time i was um you know strongly uh so you know i t i told you that i grew up catholic with this sort of non-doctrinal thing in my teenage yeah. years teenage years often are years of finding oneself and looking for meaning and looking for identity right so people so in my teenage years i actually became pretty pretty hardcore uh kind of uh 
if you want born again kind of Christian for maybe four four years or so. Uh, it, was, it was pretty embarrassing in a way, and I wasn't much fun at parties, but I did get into that. And one of the things that attracted me about it was the certainty, the certainty, the doctrinal certainty of just, you know, that's the good thing about fundamentalism is that uh, all the questions are answered, <laughs> you know. But yeah, as I yeah. continued to think and continued to study and continue to mature, I began to see through the foundational assumptions that um, that fundamentalist certainty rested on and began to, in a certain sense, um, you know, I grew out of it, basically. You know, I stopped being fundamentalist after that. But I was, so in that time, so yeah, yeah. I, I was super into it. Uh, well, I liked him because he was, um, one of the things I learned from him, oh, many things, many, many things. But one of the things I learned from him was uh, what it's like to be a writer, what it's like to be an independent creative person who sustains themselves through writing and teaching and things like that. I mean, that's what he did. So I learned a lot of that, of course. And I learned the kind of discipline. Uh, I learned about the kind of discipline. Um, I observed it. Let's put it that way. I, I mean, my job, you know, was I described part of my job. I did various other things. But really to watch somebody, a writer like that, doing their thing. Really amazing. I learned so much. Plus, he was independent man. He wasn't uh, connected to any one church. Um, very at that time, I think there was a very much a feeling of sectarianism between the different churches, rivalries, and a lot of. And I unfortunately um, was on the receiving end of some of the unpleasantness of that kind of a of an atmosphere. Because despite, like I said, I was became a you know uh, enthusiastically happy, clappy Christian. I still was an independent thinker and still was was my own man and never bent the knee to any um, institutional authority. And of course, institutional authorities are not keen on that, especially religious ones. So I mean, I never did that. I was, it was always still kind of my personal quest. So lots of friction I experienced with the, uh, institutions, religious institutions of that Island. And so, um, he was a voice of sanity in the, um, uh, insanity of some of that time. Yeah. I have a question about that. So like, Obviously, these are all um, churches with like the similar religion, right? Like, essentially, with like the same religion. So, like, what was like um, I don't know the 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 rivalry or like contention about the like the conflict? If like you know, it's like under the same religion. Was it like a? I guess it's just like a human thing. I guess like a power agreed thing. Or yeah, I mean, it's that's one way of saying it. Yeah. I mean, you know, sects, groups, group is defined as much by who's not in it as by who's in it. So it, for a group to be really cohesive, you do need an outside. Right. And so I think there's a natural um, reflex of group formation to create an outside. And so uh, you need that, I think. For, for Otherwise, a group that's, you know, I think you need that. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm saying that I think the anatomy of a group is such that um, there has to be some sort of sense of a barrier between the outside and the inside. You can maybe pass through it if you join the group and you ascribe to that group's values, etc. You can join the group, right. but there is an inside and outside. I mean, I think that's kind of obvious. So I think it's the natural, the natural uh, tendency of people, yeah, and institutional power in particular, um, uh, often threatened, I think, by free thinking can be threatened by that. I mean, the world is full of that sort of thing. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to go into a great deal more detail, but I think your instinct is right. That it's the usual kind of, the usual kind of, uh, patterns one sees in the world. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have a question about like I'm curious what you think about like groups because I'm like a big Reddit guy. So like sometimes I go on like these big like uh these rabbit holes, these conspiracy theories, you know? Like I'm kind of big into those. Um so like when you talk about groups, like what do you think like like say you know like you know about like the the Freemasons, right? Mm-hmm. Like what do you think like these like like these groups actually are or like you know do you think they actually hold any like power in the world or like hmm. i don't know i don't yeah. know about that. um yeah. i know what you mean about those conspiracy theories yeah yeah i really don't know um actually yeah mm-hmm. neither I. This is not why. <laughs> so yeah um, it's super interesting though i think those theories are super interesting and they're so interesting. They're even in um, movies, right? And fictional accounts and so on, because it's an interesting idea. But yeah. uh, I don't know the extent to which any of those groups have any influence of secret societies and so on politically. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's always interesting, like secret societies. So, um, like, yeah. you say, like, <laughs> you um, were, like, in this, like, uh, when did you start transitioning? Or I noticed that, like, you um, are pretty, like, big onto Buddhism and that side of, like, the spirituality so like when did you actually like kind of like do that transition or were you like always had like some like um buddhist books on the side growing up and like you were always reading through those or like what was it like like what was yeah it? yeah i didn't really see much conflict growing up i didn't um see much conflict i think because from a such a young age i was curious about all i didn't really categorize it quite like that i didn't understand i think perhaps the de- the deeper doctrinal significance of these different religions and uh you know there are incompatibilities i think between i mean there are ways in which they can get along but there are ways in which they are definitely different right these different religions i think that's obvious to everybody uh and doctrinally as well and um you know that's also a, a can be a cause for division is that one has a, a closely held doctrine that one thinks is true and important uh and uh another group doesn't believe that it's not just simply a case of getting along you know it's people can become right and wrong about that but anyway I think um, I always had a sense of inclusiveness about those different views, perhaps through naivety initially. Yeah. And then later on through uh, uh, a sense of dislocation from any one tradition allowed me to, I think, be open to uh, others, other traditions. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So uh, where are you again right now? Or do you like... Do you um, still live in Scotland now, right? No, no. Um, Right now I'm on my canal boat. I live on a canal boat in England. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So what does like a day in the life of a guru Viking look like? And like, I'm super curious because honestly, like I kind of like want to just like live on a boat too and just like be free. I don't know. I feel like that's so free. And like, you know, like I love the idea of that. Yeah, it is very nice uh, to live on a boat. I agree. well, I wake up in the morning. Yeah. And I drink some coffee. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and there's a few things I do every day. I mean, I meditate, of course. Uh, it's one of my great hobbies. So I do meditate. And um, I do some work, you know. I mean, I um, depends. So I might have an interview, like I'm interviewing somebody. Yesterday I interviewed somebody. Day before I interviewed somebody. Uh, I might, uh, I will eventually have to edit those interviews, uh, upload them and all that. That's, that's kind of some work. I have to do a little bit of researching for the guests. That takes a bit of time and so on. And then, you know, I have um, uh, other work that I do. So I just will, will do that throughout the day. You know, of course, being in um, the pandemic, as we still 
are, as of talking now, January 2022, um, I've been pretty much on the boat all the time. Before that, I was always traveling around. I was mostly in California, living in California and always traveling around, you know, teaching classes, teaching workshops, etc. with my business partner and co-teacher, Michaela Bohm. Um, she's a, a counselor and um, workshop teacher, etc. etc. So we traveled all around the world um, doing that. Now we do it on on the Internet, on Zoom. So, you know, it's a lot of if you were to film me, if there was like a hidden camera, you'd yeah. see me just drinking coffee throughout the day and uh -huh. uh, sitting in front of a computer most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's in 2022, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah, that's what I do, yeah. really. That's awesome. That's and cool. Occasionally, med you know, meditate and uh, do work out, you know, whatever it is. Look out yeah. the window, you know. Like <laughs> <laughs> How many, so like on average, like how many hours do you think you're like meditating a day? Well, that, that really depends. I have a kind of, um, I have this idea of goal and minimum, right? Goal and mm -hmm. minimum is an amount of practice that you can easily do, even if you don't feel like it or you haven't got much time. It's a minimum. Yeah. They say in meditation, and I think it's true for all sorts of hobbies, right? All sorts of interests that like learning a language or an instrument or uh, many things that if you can uh, do a little bit each day, have a daily consistency, or at least most days, then that's good. Better than maybe to have a regular consistency rather than do an awful lot once a month, for example. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, true because there is an aspect of meditation, which is a habituation. In fact, the Tibetan word for meditation, gom, also has that meaning, carries that meaning of habit, um, of habituation. And so, or to become familiar with something in that way. So, of course, just like any skill, it helps to do it regularly. Daily idea is ideal. And yeah. so, um, that daily, that's the daily golden minimum. And then if you're on retreat, right, or if you're, you want to do some more. So, if you go away on a retreat or you take some sort of self-retreat, maybe you spend most of the time meditating and you just take breaks to, you know, go for walks or eat meals. Or sometimes if you're on a retreat, you take breaks to listen to a sermon, right? The meditation teacher will give you whatever they'll talk about their ideas about meditation, whatever. And you listen to that. Um, so that's the other extreme, right? Meditating all the time. And then in yeah. between, there's all different kinds. So sometimes I might decide I want to do a week or two or a month of more meditation than usual. So I'll increase it, you know, uh, to do more than usual, but I'm still working. So it's kind of a half retreat, right? Yeah. It really depends. So it goes from a kind of minimum up to yeah. maximum on retreats. And then sometimes it's, it's in between, you know, if I have more time or I'm feeling particularly inspired or then I will do more than my minimum. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, if you don't mind me asking, I know that, um, on your uh, your website, you don't say like uh, you do like one specific kind of meditation, right? So like, could you like give me like a like a just like a little rundown of like your like techniques or like your like your I know that you talk about a lot about lineages and like different um like styles of meditation like different countries uh, like what do you like mm. like a like a a tough like topic to talk about because it's like it's like it's about like kind of like just being and it's like all like a lot in the mind i guess like you know like what what what's your like um style or like practice meditation do you think mm. yeah that's actually a great question and um you know one of my main meditation teachers is a guy called shinzen young oh yeah i love those podcasts with yeah he he's a regular on the podcast actually and uh amazing uh meditation teacher and 
his approach, and this I think is it's useful to talk about like that. His approach has been um, is to create a kind of taxonomy of meditation techniques. So he wants to create a kind of overarching way of categorizing different techniques, uh, so right. that there's a place for all the different techniques. Uh, without losing their individuality or distinctiveness. So you can take a technique and retain all of its instructions and all of its implications, and it has a sort of place. So in that sense, um, uh, I've learned over the years with Shinzen, but also uh, with other teachers and in my own investigations, all different kinds of techniques, right? Um, and I like to do many different ones. But I would say the most common one that I would do, right, if I was to meditate right now or i don't know we're gonna hang up and i'm just gonna go what would i do well you know maybe many maybe different kinds right but one of my favorite ones i can say at least is i like to feel the body sensations of the body first of all and then i just try to relax relax without falling asleep so a mixture between being awake without being tense or agitated and relaxed and open without being dull and drowsy so like that's kind of what I do, honestly. Uh, and, you know, it's quite simple, but it's quite profound for me, because what I find is that what are the barriers to being awake and relaxed in meditation? What are the barriers? Well, uh, all kind of barriers. For instance, sometimes there's tension in the body or tension in, tension in the emotions or tension yeah. in the mind. And so when you relax that, uh, you know, you, when you try to relax and, you, and you're awake, you discover those tensions. They sort of emerge like the X-Wing coming out of the swamp in Dagobah. They, that's a Star Wars reference, by the way. But they, <laughs> they kind of emerge and then you see them and then, uh, you know, gradually they, they can relax and let go as well. And then you discover what's underneath. What is the, what are you holding under the water with that tension? And then it starts yeah. to emerge and you have feelings and memories or et cetera, et cetera. Also, th- also things can happen. Or maybe you have just like very blissful states or very peaceful states. And the yeah. same thing with being awake, you know, it's sometimes difficult to just be there because uh, sometimes you want to look away or sometimes you want to chase after something that's interesting and become involved in experience, pushing away from it or grabbing it. And, you know, and it's it's kind of accidental. It's that you get, I, I find that I get caught by experiences, right? Either I don't even know I'm looking away or I don't even know I'm getting wrapped up. Yeah. So those are some of the barriers to being awake. And by awake, I don't, I don't mean like enlightened. I just mean like present, actually. Yeah, yeah, clear. And so I try to do that, and I find it so nice because it's very honest, very yeah. honest. There's not much to do, and I'm, I don't, I have done technical and difficult, complicated meditations before, but I'm not yeah, very yeah. good at them. I'm better with simple ones. <laughs> but when people like like talk about like like different like meditative techniques and stuff and i agree with you like i i I like i like i think it's like i like the simple one too where like i just kind of like focus on my breathing you know like like kind of do like a body scan like that type of stuff but say like um you said that like you know there's like these different um different types of meditative techniques and um there's different things that you can get out of them so like when people say like or like you say like get out of them do you think there's like um like an end goal, like from each technique that the people are trying to achieve, like, you know, especially when meditation is like, it's such like a thing about like, kind of like just being and like, like you said, like, you, you don't know what you're gonna sense, like either tension or like blissful states. So like, like, what do you think, like, when people um, prescribe a technique, like, what do you think, like, the actual end goal is like? Yeah, 
I think that's a really good question. Um, because I, th I suspect that we all have a why or a reason why we do something. So if you're meditating, for instance, then there's a reason why, or you're interested in it, there's a reason why. And that reason yeah. why may not be clear to the person. Um, right. Or the reason that they tell themselves may not be, may just be a superficial uh, surface veneer. And maybe there's a deeper reason. But I think it's important to, well, important, I think it can be beneficial to understand why you're interested in meditating, for example, or why you meditate. It's very right. easy to take on because every technique and tradition has an implied why. There's always an implication of a why. And so it's very easy to take on the why of whichever group or teacher or technique that you resonate with. So, right. so they tell you it's about being enlightened or so. So then you decide you want to get enlightened. And sometimes people, I ask people about why they meditate and so on, and they describe very clearly what it is. And then their goal is to say, get enlightened, let's say, but they're actually, that's what they say that they want. But then when they talk about what they actually want, um, you know, it's maybe not the same as this particular view of enlightenment that they think that's what they should go for, because that's what the book says, or that's what the teacher says. And that's, and it's not even conscious, you just sort of absorb the why, you know. And so I think it's good to know that these techniques come with a context, and they come with an implied view, and an applied, an apply implied objective, even if that objective is there's no objective, okay. The objective, yeah. no objective. All right, that's still that's still a kind of objective. You know? Yeah. So they're coming with that view, and I think it's um, one of the things. Actually, I mentioned Shinzen before. He says that it's good with these things to, with all teachers and systems. I think in general and techniques, it's like uh, bait on a hook, and your job is to nibble at the bait without getting caught on the hook. But there's always a hook. Every teacher, every system, every technique has a hook. A downside right a little snag somewhere so you can't swallow the thing whole yeah, a little bit of nibbling i think yeah. and try to and be aware that there's a hook in there somewhere so yeah, yeah i, I there's some random thoughts about about why yeah um so i know like i know that one of my whys personally like it could be like driven by this but like i like i like like the the mystical experiences you know like the, that type of like these type of states that you can't really get anywhere else besides meditation or I was going to mention another topic um psychedelia so like what are your um what are your opinions on like psychedelics or like you know like any experiences you don't have to say but like you know. <laughs> yeah I think you're right to, to connect those uh many of the meditation teachers of today in America for example were taking LSD back in the 60s and 70s that that's that's how they got into it you know they took yeah. they had some psychedelic experience it blew their mind and they went off on a quest to find that naturally or to find out what that vision meant or to experience that union or that you know that blah 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 whatever they had in their psychedelic trip right it it opened their perspective beyond their cultural conditioning Right. Um, and then they, they went elsewhere looking. And I think there's a, a lot of people like that. So it's interesting that many of these uh, uh, meditation teachers of today, or I guess now they're in their 70s, many of them um, started that way. In fact, I remember hearing a story about a Zen monk, American Zen monk. And uh, uh, he was talking to a young, a new Zen monks coming in, new American Zen monks. And they were shocked to discover that he had had 
psychedelic experiments in the 60s you know they were so shocked like a monk you know you think of that austere <laughs> pure right and he was shocked that anyone would want to become a monk without having had such an experience he's like why on earth would you want to come and live in this you know tough life austere life meditate all yeah. the time and so on if you hadn't had some experience you know like that these people were these younger monks were just coming straight in you know they just wanted to be monks and he couldn't imagine you know it's kind of funny so yeah. I think you're right. A lot of the motivations that people take psychedelics, uh, yeah, similar to motivations of meditation, um, not, not not exactly the same, but there's a lot a lot of similarities there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Speaking of that, like I'd like to like kind of get into like the the deeper like um, fundamental like underlinings, I guess, of like your perspective on um, say people like compare psychedelia to meditation. And like these states so like what do you think like like uh your perspective is like like i know like say hardcore materialists would say oh it's just you know chemicals firing in the brain you know uh you're taking a psychedelic it's like uh, chemicals more chemicals and substances you know just interacting with the body and others would say oh you know there's things like um i don't know like a, like an astro body or you know there's there's something more happening under the elusive um material reality so like what do you think like your like take on it is like your like perspective well i, I think i don't know is the answer yeah, um, yeah but i can say more than that but that's the that's that is the thing that really i think we should all bear in mind <laughs> i actually don't know the answer to that but uh i think they, uh, yeah i know you it's so to disappoint you um but uh yeah you know they're both good lenses. I think they're both good lenses. One of the one of the mistakes of the mystic is by that I mean someone who meditates or takes psychedelics, whatever, so an explorer of of experience and consciousness, right? However you do it, yeah. I'm not advocating for any of this. I'm just something that's I've observed, right? Someone driven in, into that kind of exploration is to have a powerful subjective experience and to. Uh, apply that to objective reality. So let's say the mystic on the meditation cushion or the mystic um, exploring in some way has a has an experience of uh, all is one, right? Right. Um, or has an experience. So then they will say, well, all is one. I had an experience of oneness, therefore all is one. <coughs> or I had an experience of limitless, boundless space. Well, limitless, boundless space does that mean that they, it means they didn't experience a limit? Doesn't mean there isn't a limit. Right. It just means they didn't experience it. Oh no! But the experience was so. I knew there was no limit everywhere. Well, there's a lot of things that I have known in my life that I've later learned were not correct. So now I'm not. We can't take away from the mystic their experience of limitless, boundless space and the profundity of that. That's their experience, and that's we can grant them that. But if they then say okay. the mind is limitless, and you know that they make some objective. A statement about reality based on their subjective experience when we make an objective statement like that we need to substantiate it with more than just it seems right to me and many right. people getting into spiritual things or exploring in many different ways have strong come upon strong convictions of of rightness that ah, i've seen this it seems so right i can't see how it could be any other way this sort of thing they're totally sure about it they can see how everything makes sense through now they've had this epiphany and yeah. that doesn't, that's usually um, uh, very short-sighted. Yeah. 
And uh, so I think it's a common mistake of the mystic to take a subjective experience and apply it to objective reality. And it's also a common mistake to um, assume that the epiphany, which appears to explain everything, is somehow the final word on the matter. But that being said, I must return to the thing I said at the very beginning of right when you asked me this question, which is, I don't know. I haven't yeah. had, I'm not enlightened. So maybe yeah. if I was to get enlightened, I would change my opinion. I would realize that, no, actually, I do know everything. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I, I'm not uh, enlightened, so I couldn't say, but it just seems a, a mistake. There's definitely been times in my life where I've been very sure I've been right about stuff. And I've been so yeah. sure about it that it's ex my view has explained the world. Like when yeah. I was in my teens, I was sure about my view of Christianity at that time. And it explained yeah. everything. Well, that's the attraction of fundamentalism. That's the attraction of fixed views is there's a certainty there. There's a relief. Right. Oh, finally, I have a schema to explain everything. And so yeah. this can happen with people when they fire off into the, you know, uh, psychedelic um, planes, it seems, or people who uh, meditate and have profound epiphanies. Yeah. There has to be a little bit of what they call epistemological humility. I like that. <laughs> no, knowing that, uh, you know, knowing that, uh, another way of saying it is a bodybuilder, if they want to get strong, they have to go to the gym and they have to become connoisseurs of weakness. Right. If a bodybuilder wants to feel strong when they go into the gym, they won't get stronger because you have to train your muscles to the point where your, your muscles become very tired, right? Too yeah. much, too much weakness and you'll injure yourself too much, go too far. But if you don't do enough, you won't stimulate the body to grow, right? And right. adapt. So right. therefore a bodybuilder has to become a connoisseur of weakness if they want to become strong. If you want yeah. to become knowledgeable, you want to have a lot of facts and knowledge, then you have to be willing to be ignorant because in order to learn anything new, the first thing you have to come you come face to face with is that you don't know it. Right. If, you to, if you want to learn a new language, the first thing you're going to encounter is that frustrating feeling of not knowing the language yet. And of course, logically, you know, you don't know it. That's why you're in the class. But yeah. it's still something kind of annoying about that. And you have to go through that. You have to expose yourself to, be, to ignorance in order to learn. And if you want to become wise, I think you have to be willing to be confused. Right. Confusion is the seasoning of wisdom, just like weakness. Weakness is the uh, fertilizer. Yeah. So I think uh, epistemological humility and a sort of comfortability with don't know, yeah. with not sure, with um, seems this way, um, but I'm not, you know, but I'm not going to insist on it. Um, you yeah. know, that, that I think is a smart path for someone um, who wants to be wise. Yeah. I think one of the podcasts I've um, watched years recently with Shinzen and um, Dr. J, uh, where they um, were talking about like an enlightenment test where like, yeah, says the majority of the answers would be, I don't know, you know, like to see if a person's actually like enlightened or something or like X amount of questions or the, for the answer would be, I don't know. Which is interesting because like, you know, like you'd assume, oh, he's he's the mystic or the shaman he knows everything. But like, it's like there's like a layer of humility, which is like kind of like the beauty of life, because like, what's the point if you do know? But like, um, like, but then like, so I want to talk about like, um, before I jump into enlightenment, I want to talk about like, you talk about like, um, people are having these like subjective uh truths and like they're so sure of like oh it's we're all one it's all oneness but then i know that um 
like some of the people that you interview like um they talk about like things that are um very like esoteric in a way like things like past lives and like you know like uh attaining certain uh powers i guess or like human abilities where i guess western science would say like oh that's impossible but i know like science isn't always right and like things progress so like when someone talks about like past lives or like they can claim they like do this like what do you think like the the fund how does that like imply to like you know what i mean like that still like that skepticism not skepticism i don't want to say but, like the the humility i guess of like i don't know like and how like how do you really know yeah well you know i think yeah skepticism is not the worst word to use uh, i think you're right i mean skepticism can mean being doubtful for its own sake you know you know almost petulant uh, and okay maybe that's not so useful but a healthy skepticism especially of oneself and one's right. own sense of one's you know uh, place in the in the enlightenment food chain or whatever it is i think it's good to um have some skepticism there a bit of humor i think it tends to manifest as humor the thing is you know one of the great um insights that people claim to uh, derive from meditational practice or in fact just living life actually i think a lot of the insights of meditation can also be gained just from paying attention as you live life and as you go through life um I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them. And one of them is like, I get this sense of the, I am a fixed thing, right? I am a fixed thing. But then as years go by, or as you practice, eventually you realize that actually you can change and that who you think you are and who you say you are, it's sort of constellation of elements and so on. It's kind of moving. It doesn't really have any um, essence to it that's immutable in a certain sense. So there's this sense of, um, anyway, but if you have an, a, an insight into this, uh, what they're sometimes called, you know, emptiness of self or something, you know, if you have an insight into that, yeah. and then you, your, your new insight becomes, oh, now I am level three enlightenment, you know, or something as it seems as that you've gone from one fixed position, one fixed view of self identification to another one, one prison cell to another, but the other prison cell has maybe some prayer flags and some incense, it's like a more spiritual sounding, smelling prison cell, but it's still <laughs> fundamentally the same um you're making the same mistake you claim to have been liberated from but you're, it's just dressed up in more spiritual terms right so uh what do yeah. you think like the deepest like insight that you have like personally gone like or have had through meditation or like a like a mystical experience because i know like sometimes people talk about like like you know like talking to like like entities for example that's like a common like theme right or like you know oh, yeah that's right. You're asking about about how how about people who come on the podcast and talk about entities and um, yeah, city powers and so on. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I'm I'm pretty open minded about that. Once again, I don't know, and that's not a line. It's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I myself do not have experiences of entities or special powers uh, <laughs> myself, so I can't sort of I can't really comment from that first-hand experience, but I don't know that it's not possible. I don't know that right. it's not possible. Um, I don't know that it's not possible. It's difficult to prove a negative, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I think like, you could, you know, you could test some of these, these things. 
And I think yeah. that would be interesting to do. Uh, but anyway, when someone comes on the podcast and they have they claim these experiences, I, like I said, the mystic has many experiences, and I don't choose. I, I'm not trying to doubt that. In fact, I say the mystic, of course. I mean, especially these people that come on the podcast. Some of them have been meditating their whole lives, double my age, maybe many hours of dedicated practice with teachers who themselves have been doing the same, and sometimes part of a tradition, emphasizing that. You know, I mean that they have a level of immersion and. Uh, education and practice that you know I don't have, so I, I'm not in a position to tell them that they're right or they're wrong. Uh, when yeah, I interview yeah. people, I'm interested in their experience and their opinions. Right, um, right. And um, and if they say they've had entity, I'm very interested about that. Or they they've had some enlightenment thing uh, experience. I'm very interested in that. I think it's so fascinating. Yeah. Or they feel like they have special powers and they have stories about that. I think it's super interesting. So I like you talking about you know you're interested in conspiracy theories and stuff. You know. Uh, yeah, it's like, who knows if the theories are right, right? But there's something interesting. So that's how I feel about these things. It's beyond my experience. Uh, yeah, what what you're asking about entities and powers and so on. But I'm certainly I find it so fascinating. Me too. Me too. I think like, like, you kind of have to be like open minded to those things. Because like, what if like, they all we they can be tested, and they are true. Because I know, like, like Wim Hof, for example, like, he got tested and like, he passed with flying colors, I guess you could say, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a, uh, great, it's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about like enlightenment. I know that like, um, uh, like you claim, like you say that you haven't reached enlightenment. So do you think like enlightenment is like a, it's like an end goal, like for you or like, and also like, what do you think like enlightenment like is like, what do you think like enlightenment means in your like opinion? Yeah, well, maybe we could go in the reverse order of your questions. Um, yeah. Enlightenment is defined differently in in different traditions and even within the same traditions. Um, and sometimes it's it's depicted as a final goal. Sometimes it's depicted as a sort of open ended process. Um, sometimes yeah sometimes it's an ideal that's a sort of like that, that represents a trajectory of development other times it's something that's already always here already always here actually there's no enlightenment to get you know in a certain sense it's like um it's like that dude some traditions say that yeah there, there's you know you you can't get enlightened and there's a few reasons why they say that there's a few reasons why they would say something like that, depending on the tradition, that statement could be used. You know, you can't get enlightened. Or or, yeah, it doesn't mean that you, James, can't, you're not good enough. It it tends to mean something like you're already enlightened or the self that wants to become enlightened, uh, you know, is an yeah. illusion. Right? They'll say things like that. You know, this is spiritual teachers for you. They have these great, um, these great ways of, 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 of stimulating you to think about your ideas. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, anyway, so it seems that there are so many different ways of using that word, and uh, it's something's going on. There's, there, there's many people are having these profound experiences uh, throughout history and even today. So something's happening there. Um, it seems, you know, I know for myself, meditating. Oh, I love to do it. It's yeah. hard to say how, what 
what I can attribute to my meditation or not. It's hard to do that because I don't just meditate. I also do other things like eat food and go to sleep and, you know, interact with human beings and, you know, live life. All of that yeah. also has an effect. So I right. can't exactly say for myself. Is it enlightenment is not a goal for me? No. No. Interesting. Um, but I mean, first of all, there are so many different kinds. So I don't particularly know which is the right one or if maybe they're all kind of right. Um, Shinzen, one of my teachers I mentioned before, he talks about enlightenment's a multifaceted jewel, right? With different faces and different aspects. And maybe all of the enlightenments are sort of different faces of the same thing, or maybe there are different kinds of enlightenments. If you practice this technique, you go here. If you practice this technique, you get there. Different right. kinds. One, some are higher than others, right? Of course, always my enlightenment is higher than your enlightenment, you know, my tradition. <laughs> you know? I mean, who would want to who would want to practice in the tradition which has the less good enlightenment? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, nobody really, right? Maybe. But yeah. um, so, you know, we, there are so many views about enlightenment there. Uh, I find it fascinating. Uh, but yeah, my, yeah. myself, I'm, I'm not attempting uh, to get enlightened in my practice now. Interesting. Like, I've always like, contemplated, like, you know, like the fine line between like, I don't know, I've always like, had this like, because people always say enlightenment is like non-attachment like I get like you know like that's thrown around a lot right like like fully like not attached to like anything but then like I feel like it's so hard to like balance that because in a way like even when a monk goes like to take a sip of water or eat some food in a way that's kind of like attachment to like the food too I guess or like you know what I mean so like like I want to know like like in your opinion like what's like the fine line or like the integration state between like attachment and then like we like this the material world especially if you're in the western world where it's like everything is kind of like just tech technology based and it's all material in a way and like you know like so like what do you think like the the healthier like in like or like the fine line integration between attachment and like non-attachment is Yeah, I recognize the characterization you're you're making here. Yeah, you know, sometimes this non-attachment, right? I've heard it also described as maximum poignancy, minimum problem. Maximum poignancy, minimum problem, meaning um, you feel you're you're there to feel more and more, mm -hmm. more present, more present, but less caught by what you're present with. More f depth of profound feeling but less captured by or uh, dominated by, yeah, the feeling. I've heard it, that's a trajectory, right? That one can be more open to life uh, unless somehow caught by it. I don't think that necessarily means that one doesn't have, you know, attachments in the sense that it depends what you mean by attachment, you know, that you don't care about stuff. Uh, there's some enlightenment models, they do say that, that, you know, you, you, you get this kind of like detachment from yeah. everything is particularly in the more monastic influenced uh, path yeah. that's their path actually kind of like letting go of attachments to everything and there are other paths that are different to that but i think yeah. um you know one of the things that you're that you're pointing to i think is that there are so many different ideas of enlightenment and so many different paths and there and even paths that recognize that there are, you know this is the path of renunciation this is another path and um there are many different paths so each path will have a way of answering that question. 
And so I myself don't have a sense of um, an overarching uh, or underlying answer to that question that I'm confident of. But I do yeah. think that different paths have different traditions, different philosophies, and so on will have different way of answering that question. So then the question becomes, well, do you want the Theravada answer? And if so, which kind? Do you want the this teacher's answer? Or do you want that tradition's answer? We can give you a general answer, the Buddhist answer. But then if we look a little closer, we realize that, oh, there's actually much diversity within the Buddhist tradition, right? And disagreement. Yeah. So then do we want this kind or this kind, Yogacara, Madhyamaka, okay, Prasangaka Madhyamaka, Swatantrika Madhyamaka, we can go finer and finer grain and start to, if we're talking about doctrinally like that. Yeah. But as a koan, as a riddle, in terms of practice, one approach is to sit there and actually simmer in that. There are some meditation techniques that take just questions like that. What is the difference between, you know, not caring and attachment and where's the line there and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And you sit there and just observe in yourself the mechanisms that you're imagining or you're pointing to when you make a question like that. Yeah. And you meditate on those. I mean, those are paths. But like I said myself, I think probably one should ask an enlightened person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a little bit like if someone asked me how to get to a place that I'd never been to, I can say, well, yeah. I've heard that you can take this train and that bus, or you can take, yeah, yeah. you can go walking down this road. And it's really what I've heard, you know, I've heard this person says this way is the best. I've heard some people say, don't go to that place. You should go to this other place. That place yeah, is rubbish. Yeah. Uh, you know, the prices are too high. Go to this other town. It's better. Yeah. So it's a lot like that. Secondhand. Yeah. I guess like in the grand scheme of things, like, I don't think like, anybody really truly knows what's like going on because like in a way like we're just like also like limited by our i like i, I like um how frank yang says it like i watched that he always says like his meat suits you know like you, like everyone's just kind of in their meat suits like you're limited by like you are kind of part of the universe itself so like what like makes people think they're like can have like you know like these like i don't know like that's definitely like um an interesting contemplation to have because like uh, i watched um your podcast with like jay J dr jay too i think it might have been like the first one or it's um and he describes it in a way where it's kind of just like there's like just like this grand like show in front of us and he's like we like nobody really knows like why like kind of like how he got here even like um science is like i personally don't believe like the science like behind like some things of like you know like how we got here um so i don't know like that's all like like it's such like a like a deep and like complex topic to talk about it is yeah and science like you said at its best is a way of of finding things out it's a method and yeah. the, it's always implied in science that um every uh theory is subject to revision if it can be proved that the revision you know if the revision can be proved so it's sort of science it's not always presented this way of course but i think at its best is it kind of this is what we know so far based on this 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 method of deriving knowledge and uh, everything is open in theory to revision right that's i think everyone knows that's like science 101 and yeah. um but often religion and spirituality is not like that it's um you can approach it that way but often you know whereby someone says well 
this is what I think I know, and I'm pretty damn certain about it. But, you know, I'm open to, I'm open to that view being undermined. It seems that all of these epiphanies are eventually recontextualized at the very least, or yeah. as you live more life, you know, and like sometimes it's presented as a final, yeah, perfect, complete end. But, you know, that's what people say that they experience. And, yeah. uh, Maybe they do. <laughs> Maybe they do. I don't know. That's why I asked the questions in the podcast, you know, I asked because, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And I feel like it's so interesting, too, because like you said, I love how you bring up like the cultural context, like everything is kind of like based off of like everyone's individualism and then conceptualized into this thing that like they're presenting or like, you know, even sometimes people aren't even like like people that like say like just like blindly follow the bible for example it's just like like a regurgitation of something you know what i mean um i'd like to like ask some like fun questions though like um if you could uh sit down with uh, uh anybody in history you know dead or alive like and ask them some questions like who do you think like it would be like who are some people in history that you look up to or like are like fascinated by like you know wow well i think uh if I could have a dinner party, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Gosh, there's so many people, and I can assume as well that there's some way in which everyone's going to be speaking uh, the same language somehow, right? Because there's not that much point in hanging out with people. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess it would be nice to be in the presence of, but let's say that there was some also some cool thing where uh, we could all speak the same language somehow as well. Google Translate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have that in Star Trek, actually. The old Star Treks used to have this uh, on their badge. They had some automatic translator. Anyway, if they if we could have it like that, then, um, well, I suppose in keeping with the theme of this uh, conversation, because there's so many people, of course, Jesus. That would be great, right? Yeah. Uh, of course, Buddha. That would be cool. But they say you should never meet your heroes, right? So maybe I would be disappointed by these guys. Um, oh, let down. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, Aristotle, Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato all together would be nice. In fact, a lot of the ancient Greek ones would be really good, like um, Zeno. Uh, I think that would be great. Heracles, uh, uh, not Heracles. Um, let me think. Um, yes, Heraclitus. That would be cool. The only constant is change. Uh, people like that. That would be great. Maybe Marcus Aurelius. This is getting a big, a really big dinner party. That would be really yeah. cool. Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> August, maybe Augustine. Augustine, of course, allowed to. Right. Miyamoto Musashi, just for a little bit of chaos. That would be fun. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Uh, yeah. I, da Vinci. That would be great. Pythagoras. That would be fun. Gosh, I could I could keep going. All the cool people. <laughs> like, when, obviously, we're talking about like ancient times and stuff. Yeah. Do you think, like, like for example, like um, the Great Pyramids, for example, ancient Egypt? People are always saying, "Oh, like the pyramids are built. We we met extraterrestrial life," or like, "Oh, the ancients knew something we didn't." Like, do you like believe in that, or like, like, do you like? Do you think so? Like, because obviously, the in a way that we've gone like more materially, like technologically advanced. But then, like when you think of like ancient times, there's like teachings of like you know we were like more tapped in with 
I don't know, the source, you know, like, what do you think? Mm. I don't know. But that would be a very cool to be able to go back in time. Yeah. Uh, you know, for an, like a door, maybe we could have a door. That we yeah, could yeah, yeah. In and out like Bill and Ted or Doctor Who and just show yeah. up in the pyramids when they're being built or show up in Phoenicia or show up in yeah all these great places i mean that's the other thing if you can't get all these people to this hypothetical dinner party then you could do a kind of tour um yeah. be, wouldn't it be cool you could to step out and be there on the sermon on the mount for example yeah that would be pretty epic or to be there uh, at the moment of the buddha's enlightenment you know something like that yeah. maybe you could tickle him and alter the course of history you know <laughs> i'm just joking of course but uh you know wouldn't it be cool to go back in time and see some of these things with our very own eyes yeah 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 it's interesting what do you think like this is a very like big question i guess like but it's obviously like your own personal take on it like what do you think like like the meaning of life is like you know like obviously like you said everyone has a why for their own like egotistical i guess like narrative or motive but like what do you think like like in the grand scheme thing it was like you know some people think we're like in a simulation you know some people mm -hmm. think like there's like a purpose or like life is meaningless or like what do you what do you think like what's your take on it i don't know yeah but one way of deriving someone's an object's purpose is i mean is by observing its behaviors if you want, like they, they have that saying, follow the money. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that you can do that to yourself. You can say, okay, well, how do I, if I did it, you know, if I take myself out of it and how do I act, which values do I act into? That's an interesting question. You say, well, I yeah, don't know yeah. what, well, what, so I think that's kind of interesting. You know, what ideals do, does one aspire to? Uh, <laughs> but that's not really why the purpose of life. Yeah. Um, my ideals, I think, uh, are not the same as the why. Yeah, I don't know what the purpose of life is or the meaning of life. I don't know. Yeah. It's so mysterious, actually, to me. It's such a mystery. And yeah. can sometimes be quite overwhelming, actually, how big a question that is and how, it, how unknowable it seems to me personally. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, like, when you're, like, um, I'm curious, about, like, I want to go back to, like, your, your med meditative practice, like, like when you're like like meditating like does like like you're sitting for like two to four hours sometimes like does like is time even like relevant for you or is like do you like do you feel it like or is it just like you're like oh two hours have gone past and it's like it's like a breeze because i notice like when you meditate sometimes i'm watching your videos like i'll like skip to like some parts and then your hand position is like still in the same place i'm like how is that possible you know yeah well yeah, that's called strong determination sitting where you choose a certain amount of time and you just sit there and you don't move, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I do. Um, I do that. And uh, it's something that most of my meditation teachers have emphasized. It's not universally emphasized. In fact, some people criticize it. And for good reason, they say, well, you just sit there, you're just vegging out, you know, who, who knows what's going on, the quality of, of, the, of, the, of the practice that you're doing, maybe little and often is, is, is better than you know, these long stretches, you know, or rather quality over quantity, right? Some people say that. And I think it's right. true. But um, uh, I don't think it's inevitable that it's a waste of time. And uh, what else are you going to do? <laughs> you know? yeah. 
that's one of the reasons I like to meditate so much. Like, what what better than that? And I mean, there are things that are good, but I yeah. love it so much. So I would say, over time, uh, the body gets used to that. Um, I don't recommend sitting with in a posture that is uncomfortable, and I don't recommend sitting through pain until one has acquired the posture. So when the body gets used to the posture, it becomes uh, relatively pain free. Yeah, and the sort of discomfort that you get is not stress on the joints. It's just the pressure of the bottom on the cushion. Like if you on a long haul flight, for example, you know, you, you, your, your bottom gets sore, right? Or your back gets stiff, right? I mean, that kind of thing. It's so that kind of thing can happen or, you know, the thighs begin to become painful or et cetera, et cetera. Or so, sometimes the pain in the body is sort of correlated to the uh, psychological or emotional turbulence as well. So the body over time, it seems, gets used to sitting for that length of time. And also the mind and the body get used to settling. And the more you relax and settle, a lot of the tension in people's meditation posture is a habitual bracing of the body. That softens with, with the meditation practice. One of the consequences can be that the body becomes a little softer, a little less um, tense. Interesting. Yeah. So... Well, like uh, it really, I think one can learn to sit for a long period of time, um, just with, I think, regular practice, uh, the body gets used to it. And also the mind and the technique um, opens up to such an extent that it becomes possible. It's not a great effort for me to sit like that. Uh, you're mentioning those live streams that I will do. It's not a great effort. Sometimes yeah. there are, it's difficult or sometimes it's uncomfortable inside or outside you know, body or mind or whatever, or emotions sometimes, but it's not fundamentally, um, it's not fundamentally difficult, but I worked up to, you know, I, I'm meditating a long time. So when you meditate a long time sitting, you know, and I have a, you know, I have a, uh, I teach uh, also meditation and um, we have a course, strong determination sitting course. And we, and in a, a month, you know, we, we go through this process of each week, you sit for an hour, the first week, two hours, the second, three, the third, four, the fourth. And you, you know, in that, uh, class, people who've been coming to the Guru Viking Meditation Club, we call it, you know, week after week, oh, many of them found without, with, you know, with only maybe a little bit of meditation experience, many of them found they were able to sit for long periods of time if they approached it in, in the right way. And of course, wow. if ever if ever you feel, you know, uncomfortable, or you're unsure about your body's safety, you must always move. The first rule is always don't injure the body, right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where, where does, I'm curious, like, like, so like, are you in like a blissful state? Like when you're like, just like meditating or like, is it like different each time? Are you having like, you know, like I know you said like, you don't ha like have like, um, like communication with like entities or anything like, like, is it like, um, like, where does your mind go? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, like, I'm curious. Yeah, well, I think there are many ways to answer that question. I would say the whole range of possible experiences is possible. Sometimes, yeah, when I meditate, it's bliss. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the mind, the activity of the mind or the activity of the personality just settles or even um, evaporates. Uh, sometimes uh, it's just like hour three is just the same level of surface, surface level of consciousness as hour one. Uh, sometimes uh agitation stress you know it just feels like um you know uncomfortable and unpleasant meditating i would say like i said if you meditate regularly you're going to encounter 
I mean, some people meditate when they feel like meditating. They're in the meditation mood, right? So then you sit yeah. down to meditate and you're already kind of in a meditation mood. Well, that's okay. But if you sit regularly, regardless of how you feel, then you're going yeah. to encounter all different kinds of feelings in meditation. Right. And so, yeah, it's like that. It's like that. But mostly it's pretty ordinary. Mostly it's pretty ordinary. Interesting. But what? A very oh. ordinary, though, is very, I think, can be very beautiful. Oh, yeah. I think like, like, I think I saw like a quote, like on like Twitter or something where it's like, like this idea of ordinary where it's like, you know, like a lot of us like wake up and like walk around as if it's like a normal thing to be alive, you know? And I feel like when like people have like these like mystical experiences or like, you know, do like psychedelics, for example, and have like that lens wiped for the first time. It's like, you know, that could, that's like obviously why like these meditation teachers like in the 60s like you said like got you know went down this path it's because like it's kind of not ordinary at all you know like this whole life thing that's yeah. right that's right yeah what would um like your advice be to like um young people in general just for like the bettering of the world and also your advice for like people like who want to like go down like the meditation path or like you know Yeah, well, I, I don't know about bettering the world. It would depend on the person. I think yeah. actually, um, yeah, it would depend. You know, it is it presumes, of course, that I have some, I'm confident in my idea of how to get make the world a better place. I'm not confident in my idea. Of yeah. That. Um, yeah. You know, I can't even fix my refrigerator. Never mind. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe if, now with I could look up a YouTube video. I probably could fix my refrigerator. Hold on, maybe I can fix the world. Wait a minute. <laughs> I think who knows. Uh, so my advice to young people wanting to, to make the world a better place is don't listen to me um, on that subject. But um, I would say actually, uh, uh, part of my advice to in a situation like that or my reflection would be to look to the great thinkers of the past. Uh, the you know human humanity over the thousands of years and many cultures, uh, there have been many very thoughtful, wise people that have faced difficult circumstances and in different cultural contexts and different ages and so on. And um, they have attempted to make sense of it. And they've attempted to extract principles and extract lessons. Philosophers, we mentioned some of them at my dinner party, um, you know, even religious figures and, uh, and so on. You know, there, there is so the impulse that a person feels to make the world a better place or find out what it's all about and so on is a, is a shared impulse. There are kindred spirits reaching back through the ages who have also had that same impulse they're a part of that you're part of a family of of such people and so there are there you i think one can find um companionship in the writings of such people yeah so that that's something that comes to mind um to validate, I think, that impulse to want to make the world a better place and to find out what it's about and to try and be a better version of yourself and etc. to really appreciate one's um, life, all that sort of thing. I think that's a very wonderful. Those are very wonderful impulses. Of course, you know, in trying to make the world a better place, sometimes people have done things that have made it much worse. Yeah. You know, but that's uh, life. So I think it's wise then also to say, well, I'm not the first person to think this. Although it can feel very isolating and lonely, there are others to start to investigate 
to search um, out. I think that, but but that's you know, I'm speaking from my bias. That's the sort of thing that in, that I would do. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, <laughs> you ask me. I guess if someone's asking me, they're going to get what I say. Yeah, and as yeah. for as for meditation, I would say, well, try you know, try different stuff, explore, um, you know, try different teachers, read different books, try different practices. Don't be afraid to have a shopping phase where you try different stuff and you try different techniques and you kind of shop around and you're, you know, you dabble. I think yeah. that's important, an important thing. Um, by all means, dabble around, look around and uh, pick up what you can and um, and uh, find your way. Yeah, that's what I would say. That's great. So trust, we, we trust, trust your curiosity. Yeah. Pull on the thread of your interest. What did you like want to like be when you were a kid? Like, did you have like a like a idea in mind of like what you wanted to be when you grew up and like you know like did you always know that like in your heart like you're like yeah this is like kind of the path for me because like you like you said like you kind of grew up around like you know like your mother seemed like very like like a smart person for like you know teaching you those things and like even like trying to not indoctrinate you into like this one ideology and keeping you open-minded like so like what what do you think like even like your purpose now i know like um like just like it's a very like individual like question to ask but what do you think like like you know like your like purpose now or like do you think like you just want to be like I know that you're like a teacher and stuff which is like awesome so like, like what do you think like your end goal is like I know you said it's not enlightenment but like you know just like on this path that like of unsurety that we don't know what's going on but like you know of the things that you are in somewhat control of what do you like what's your end goal yeah well, my uh, ideal, which of course I fall short of in many ways, um, is I think service. That for me encapsulates a lot. Uh, not just, so it means many things. It means being useful with what I can do. Of course, we all have limited capacities. So we all have certain things we can do given our circumstances our circumstances, our situations, our gifts and talents and um, the cards we were dealt. So it's a little bit like saying, well, what can I do that's useful with my capacities? Useful, uh, you know, of course, I'd have to define that, but perhaps another time. And also yeah. useful as in, in interactions, basic interactions, being a sort of a more and more sort of a person who uh, is um, has a positive effect or at least less of a negative one being available uh for that sort of thing there are people like that you know that um you meet them and maybe they're having a good day at the time who knows but you meet them and it it's it's good and uh i'd like to be a sort of servant in that context too so a servant with my work output a servant in my relationships buried that's so hard though it's so hard um, yeah. also a servant to the the context the situation so one of the things that i often think on the boat here is I'll, I'll sit there and say, well, I look around at the situation. What can be done? What, um, how can I serve the situation? The greatest gift you can give, I think, to the moment is your attention. Right. Actually. And so just that, giving that attention is like a kind of caress um, to the moment, to an, an honoring of, uh, like you said, being alive. And then what's to be done and looking around, what is available to be done what could be done rather than saying coming first from my point of view 
what do I want to do? What what do I want to impose? Let's see what can be done. So then I might end up doing a dish, washing a dish, you know, or hoovering the boat, reading a book, editing a podcast, whatever. Yeah. So I try to therefore be a something like how can I elevate or uh, serve the situation? This sounds very um, a little bit maybe cheesy, but you did ask, and I think, and it's not fully formed, I'd say. But I think this idea of service seems to resonate deeply with me. Um, life is just pouring out. Right. Every day, life is pouring out like a candle that's burning. The candle does not look down at the bottom as it, and think, oh, I'm almost finished. I better burn less slow. It just goes 100 miles an hour until no more wax. And there's something about life that seems to be a bit like that, right? We're yeah. bored and then we're just like, it's like 100 miles an hour, you know, we're, we're living. Yeah. And so given that it's pouring out, how can it be, uh, how can I be, how can I be poured out, uh, right. in, in some sort of service? And sometimes that means staying out of the way. Sometimes it means getting involved. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It can mean, it can mean many different things. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Um, how much? time do you like do you have a like a time frame steve like a time limit you gotta go or not, not especially no okay i want to talk to you about like um well i know obviously you, you're like a pretty like like nobody really knows but like what do you think like i'm curious because i i really like um the delson armstrong uh podcasts and like like what are you like and this is also a big thing on like reddit um like first I want to talk about like uh he talks about like the past life and after life a lot. I know that we touched on it, but like um do you think like I know you don't like speaking from biases, it's hard. Like, do you like what do you think of like uh this idea the idea of like past lives and like um afterlife and stuff? Mm. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating. Yeah. I love hearing stories of people like Delson, for example, um, who uh, have had experiences of, say, remembering their past lives or things like that. Yeah. I, uh, Delson also claims to be able to read other people's karma, past lives, right? He, he said that in the second interview I did with him, yeah. which was called Siddha Tales, that second interview. Uh, and that's uh, an ability that is said to, uh, traditionally said to come from as you become, you know, getting deeper into meditation and so on apparently you unlock as some people say you unlock these um abilities right um sometimes you unlock them sometimes you can develop them consciously there's different kinds this is what cer certain traditions say uh buddhism for example is one of those but not only and uh and also i think it's very interesting that there are studies on past lives for instance there are whole institutes and uh, researchers that investigate stories of young children recounting information, dates, facts, figures, and so on, um, that they shouldn't be able to know. Uh, and wow. yeah, there are, I mean, that's um, an area of, of research that's not particularly religious in nature. And there yeah. are, you know, even hard-nosed you know, scientists, you know, uh, investigate these things. And yeah, it's very fascinating yeah so I, I'm, I will say i find it fascinating and i enjoy listening to it uh i enjoy listening to people's experiences on those things but like yeah, i yeah. said i myself um 
do uh, have not had an experience that would that I'm convinced was a memory of say a past life for example or anything. yeah yeah um, but we're all certainly part of a lineage and all the bits and pieces and matter and energy in my body was previously composed in some other form. I mean, I mean, this is just basic thermodynamics, I guess. So yeah. in, that, in that sense, parts of me have been doing other things in the past, right? But I don't know how much, that's not, of course, what we really mean by past lives, is it? That's interconnectedness. There's an interconnectedness there, yeah. not only in, in uh, space and circumstance, but also in time. This yeah, lineage, you know, we're sort of all part of that sort of thing, soup. But uh, I don't know about past lives, the idea of consciousness, you know, going from life to life, some sort of maybe record, some, yeah. nam, some nam, the Namshi or something like that. Or even some people like you're talking about the the, the new age uh, and conspiracy theories that you like on Reddit and so on. They even say, yeah. oh, you die and then you go to this, you know, other dimension and then you, you're like, oh, and then you go back into the school of earth to learn new lessons. Yeah. I mean, there's all these amazing ideas. It's yeah, amazing. It's like, <laughs> I've actually like personally like had that experience, but even I'm like kind of like still skeptical on it. Oh, like, what happened? Yeah. Well, I've tried a DMT a couple times before and oh. I, uh, like, you know, like people always say that's like the, like kind of like a really strong psychedelic, you know? Mm. Um, so like I've, I've like quote unquote broken through and I like, I've like kind of like experienced like that, like that whole thing too. And then like, I, it's a common theme, like, you know, very common on Reddit, like, like among like other, like people that have had like similar experiences. So I guess like, that's why like, I'm like so interested like too. Cause like, even like, like for something that like an experience that seemed like so real and like, you know what I mean? Like so real, but. What um, would you mind? Is it something you, you like to talk about or? Oh yeah, I'm talking about it. <laughs> well, I'm curious. So you you said you broke through. Can you can you describe the experience? I'm re I'm very interested. Yeah. So I've um tried it like three times. Uh, DMT. Um. So the first time I didn't really like broke break through. I kind of like just like guess what you would call like just like um the waiting room phase. People like to say it, where it's like it's like a you're halfway in the door, you're half not. Um. So I've had like that experience. And then my second time was actually like where like I broke through and it's like you, um, so this is not like ayahuasca, it's like DMT. It's like, just like you like uh, smoking. It's like in its pure form. Um, so it's funny cause I literally was just home alone one day and um, I have a brother and I'm like, I'm gonna go uh, take a nap. But obviously I didn't go take a nap. I went to go experiment. <laughs> with my uh, consciousness and um so I just did it and literally like it's so weird to say but like I totally get like when people say like um this ideology of like the source or like this oneness or like um I I like experience I call it like the mother because I just like got this like very like motherly like experience it's like really like overwhelming I don't know. It's like, it's like, I don't want to say God because I feel like God like puts it in such like a religious context as if it's like a, like an entity or being. It's just like, there's like this, just like this surety, right? When you're in that state, and um, yeah, so it's like, 
the the experience itself though so I'll, I'll like walk you through it it's like so um you kind of like just like inhale it like the whole do the whole um I learned it from like Terrence McKenna obviously like listening to him like talk um so I just did his whole technique like I really like try to like get all of it I could and then you literally feel as if like there's like a like I don't also want to claim to the ideology this idea of like the soul right but it kind of feels like you have your soul being like sucked out of you mm. like physically physically but it's interesting because like I like um experience like I've like dabbled with like many psychedelics like you know like probably like all of them even like I'm like a pretty like big like um like cannabis user sometimes um the thing about DMT from that separates it from um, like all the other ones are kind of like you are still sober. That's the thing. Like you're this this idea of like, hey, I'm James. This like like clear identity. Like you know, like your your head is clear. It's just that it's so weird because like you think like you're intoxicated or like. You know, like you're taking and you're ingesting a substance and you're like intoxicated. But the thing is, you're more clear than like, you know, ever. It's like everything is crystal clear, but your reality changes. So like, it's kind of hard to comprehend for like people that like haven't tried it because, you know, like earth and like this like world, our mind and like our physical world is like kind of all we know. So when like you're shot up to like another reality, it's like, whoa you know and then it's not just like so like the physical aspect is gone because like you get like a lot of um the, the ancient stuff that you see like the kaleidoscope like the um what sacred sacred geometry you know you get that like whole thing which is so weird because like you're not really like just seeing it in a video or your phone like you know like a picture of it like you're actually this is your reality as if it's like my hands or something so it's like you're shot there and then the the really like overwhelming thing about it is that like it's intelligent like for like I, I just feel like the fact that this like kaleidoscope and like sacred geometry of like perfection like it's just like flooding through is like I feel like that's like intelligence in its own way you know so like it's like how is this even possible and then after like I went through that like you're just like in the space where it's like you're just gone but you know that like it's so corny to say because people always say oh there's a sense of like I'm home or like I've been here before it's like but you like totally understand that because it's like what else is there if your body's gone like and you're like kind of just in this place then I feel like it's like maybe like people do get like the idea of like oh that's where we come from mm -hmm. but then the really trippy thing that like tripped me out is like I said the mother thing before and it's like you really do get this overwhelming presence and it's like this communication not through language of course through like I don't know I don't want to say like intuition I don't because that's also like a very biased thing I feel like like it's just like this like message that you get of like the source and like this godly like 
idea. And then the next thing you know, after like, it's weird because like, it is a blissful state after the chaotic stuff happens. It's like, you're literally just in bliss and you're, you're this oneness, you know, common themes of that. But then I've noticed that when I started to like it, when I started to like, like settle down, I'm like, wow, like I get it, I get it. And then I'm back in my, like, I'm back here. I'm back to like, you know, you're, you're shot back into your physical body. And then I've noticed, I noticed myself like even kind of wanting to go back. I like kind of wanted to like close my eyes and like wanting to go back to that place. Cause it, it was so like real, you know? But the thing is, the funny thing is after I told my brother, I'm gonna quickly take a nap. I run back to him after the experience. I'm like, how long has it been? He's like, it's been like 10 minutes, but you know, it's like time and that overwhelming feeling. Oh, another like funny thing. I don't know if like you ever heard of this before, but like, it could be like a common theme, like this idea of like a, like a cosmic joke. Have you ever heard of that? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, that's literally the first message or I don't want to say message as if it's like, it's talking to me, but like this first like underlying feeling of like, it's like a cosmic joke, you know, like, like that's as soon as I got like sober or like sent back into my body, I guess, like that's the underlying message of it. So that was the second time I did it, which was like the most profound, like amazing time. And I feel like I broke through so easily because I didn't really know what to expect. Cause like, I was like, ready to let go and I feel like that ties in so much to like meditation practice because like there's a lot of like just letting go and I feel like even when I meditate there's there's like barriers that I go through where it's like it's almost overwhelming and it's kind of like scary you're like oh crap like yeah. I don't want and the thing is I don't there's like this like I don't want to tie it but like I get a lot of like the word of like death pops into my head when I think of like letting go like you know like yeah. death so I even get those common reoccurrences even in meditation practices and that's like could be from you know my um, psychedelic experiences but I want to talk to you about this um, third time that I actually did it and uh, this one was kind of like tra traumatizing to be honest and I feel like the reason it was was because I couldn't let go because I kind of like attached myself to that mystical and blissful experience yeah and yeah and the third time I did it like I said like somehow I don't know how but it seems that obviously like DMT is in basically everything that is alive like chemically but it seems that somehow it's intelligent too which is weird because the third time I did it I had this like ego attachment thing because I'm like oh yeah it's just like a blissful state and I did it and it like literally like taught me a lesson and like just like showed me the most like chaotic like overwhelming like negative thing you could experience and it was like almost like disastrous but it was like a people always say like bad trips are like are good trips because like it teaches you a lesson but like essentially like that's what happened and it's like it's so crazy because like I feel like as if like these substances have their own intelligence in their own way, you know, the same way like trees or like plants do, you know, like it's like intelligent. So yeah, that's like my experience with like that substance. <laughs> when you say it was traumatizing, uh, I assume by that you mean that there's still a sense in which it hurts uh, or there's some bruising 
somehow oh, from yeah. that experience. I'm curious what uh, what have been the after effects of that? Um, I'm definitely much more uh, like um, more respe- respectful of the substance. Like I don't take it as a very like light thing anymore, but I feel like previously in the past I have, it's like, you know, like my ego kind of clinged on to this like mystical experience. Like, oh yeah, like no problem. It's just like, like, you know, like, oh, I talked to God or like, I saw this, like the oneness. And then, yeah, like I'm definitely like, I haven't like touched the set, like, you know, or even wanted to have like an urge to do it in a long time. And I feel like that's like part of like the traumatizing, like, you know, like, cause it was just like so overwhelming. And I feel like it's almost scary too. Cause like, I feel like there's parts of the mind that tell you like, Oh, especially when you're like, you know, like learning about like Buddhism and like non-attachment, there's parts of the mind's like, Oh, you like, you shouldn't be scared. You should just let go. But then there's a part of me that's like, kind of like actually scared of like trying it again or like, but you know, like, I don't know. It's just like a, it's interesting for, for sure. Yeah, that is very interesting what you're saying. And yeah. I think I think you're right that it's not uncommon this fear of letting go and this yeah. sense of letting go and death being somehow connected. Yeah. Yeah, because part of what one's letting go of it seems is the self-protection or the cohesiveness of oneself, the holding oneself together. Yeah. You know, sometimes go on. Oh, um, so like, uh, the, the experience that like the insight, I guess you could say, like, you know, that people get from, um, like just these profound experiences, the, like the underlying message was like, 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 like it was kind of like literally like telling me like, Hey, there's a clear, like attachment here. And like, you better stop, you know, like, messing around as if like the substance is like a light thing or like you know like i don't know like i i guess i attach like um like this like divine label to it now after you know hmm. yeah what were you gonna say steve no well i'm very interested in what you're saying actually yeah yeah i was uh i was in a certain sense attempting to say that that fear uh, is classic in meditation Sometimes it feels like there's a similar fear. I don't know if you've ever had this when you go to sleep and you ever have that and you go to sleep and okay. If you, a lot of times when one goes to sleep, you just go to sleep, you like lose consciousness and you wake up the next day. Right. Uh, But sometimes what can happen is you can almost feel yourself going to sleep and there can be a sense of fear. And then you like jerk yourself awake. Like you're falling. You know that? Yeah. All the time. That's a scary feeling. (laughs) It is. It is. And it's, I sometimes think of it like, um, you know, when you go out to sea, um, there can be a, a shelf, a sea shelf. So it's kind of shallow, shallow, and then there can be a drop, boom, into deeper waters. And sometimes you can feel that when you go to sleep, you can feel like, you know, relaxing, you know, a little bit like spacing out or whatever, you know, and then suddenly there's like a clunk and you fall, you know, backwards into, you know, uh, sleep, yeah. right? whatever it is. And yeah, same as meditation, actually yeah um that fear so then the question is um well first of all i think it's good to know that that's normal yeah and uh then the question is what do you do about it yeah 
and there's that's like my whole like like my like questioning of reality like because like you know like you have like these profound experiences you have like these mystical experiences and I've like even noticed myself like am I like just like meditating like what am I meditating for am I like chasing mystical experiences like you know like I feel like that's like an attachment of its own like and also I like like you said the fear of letting go like I noticed like in meditation when I'm like say I'm you you feel like you're just about to get to that like next level of meditation get a little bit deeper but sometimes like I have like just like these like overwhelming of like like negative thoughts like faces coming at me like you know like you have like these negative thoughts and it's almost like it's that theme of death comes on again it's like you know it's so crazy because I feel like everybody's so distracted by technology people are looking at their phones all day but then as soon as you put that away and then you're kind of just forced to sit with the mind and it's like oh my god I don't have full control over this thing I don't think like where do these even thoughts even come from you know like what's the source of thoughts like you know things like that so what I feel like which meditation technique are you using honestly I I really like the the Wim Hof's like breathing technique I kind of like integrate it too because like I don't know I, I feel like it does something to my body too like I just feel like super like rejuvenated after and I also like the fact that like it teaches you how to like hold your breath for a really long time and I my little brother he can actually hold his breath for over like, like I think like four minutes like easily like wow. with the method yeah so like things like that yeah um, I, should we wrap this up Steve sure yeah things been good now it was a bit of an awesome talk Yes, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. So what's happening in your like, uh, like, um, life recently during COVID and stuff? We wrap this up. What's you mean? How has my life been? in yeah, COVID? Yeah, changed from like, well, yeah, like, go on, think of the whole situation. I don't I don't want to get like political or off track, obviously, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, did you ask me? What do I think of the whole situation? Yeah, yeah, or like, and also like how it's like impacted your life and things like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, like I mentioned, I've been on the boat for these last more or less two years now. You know, two months short of two years, right? And so um, I enjoy being alone. And I've uh, to me, for me, it's been uh, really, really, really nice. Um, hermit kind of vibe. You know, hashtag hermit gains. I already have the beard. And when I started off the pandemic, I bought a jumper, like a sweatshirt, which had the tarot card of the hermit on it. Oh, yeah. I kind of bought that to, you know, off of Redbubble, right? Just to embrace okay. yeah. you know, the, the whole thing. But, um, uh, you know, it's very sad that so many people are having terrible uh, experiences and struggling and becoming sick and uh, be, having their lives disrupted by the pandemic you know i don't like i don't like that that's happening but if you're talking about me personally i've been very lucky i've got a place i can be a place i can stay and um and i don't mind the solitude um so i enjoyed actually so for me it's been it's been uh good but my, my normal life before that 
for the last you know 15 years it's been always traveling activity you know always around with people doing things 24 7 so it's been a kind of a, a, a break or they say in the uk a change is as good as a rest so for me it's definitely been a big change and i've enjoyed it you know but we'll see when i emerge uh back into regular life you know uh for example we'll have to see maybe i go, maybe i became really weird <laughs> maybe <laughs> That's honestly how I feel. I feel like since I've like been like cooped up in the house all the time, like I feel like when I go out, like my social interactions are kind of like, you know, like not on beat or like, you know, it's like, am I weird? Like, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah, there might be a bit of an adjustment period. So we'll see, yeah. you know, I think I'm fine, but you know, I might be wrong. <laughs> I might be wrong. Like, all right, that was awesome, Steve. Oh, uh, my pleasure. Talking to me. Yeah. Oh, my, my pleasure. Thank you, James. I enjoyed it also. Awesome. Cheers.